you have a Bible, would you please take it and turn to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll be in verses 17 through 24. If you're not sure where Ephesians is, it's near the back of your Bible, probably in the back eighth of your Bible. Um, You'll see the letter of Paul to the Ephesian church. Uh, We've been studying this uh, this letter together for a little while now, and we left off our study. I think July 3rd was the last time we were in Ephesians due to our joint services and one uh, standalone sermon. But we left off our study having just sort of waded into the second half of this letter, if you remember that. And as we entered into chapter 4, we said that verse 1 of chapter 4 serves as a, a hinge that turns the book into a new direction. After three chapters of strong doctrinal teaching, Paul gives, gives us his first major command of the letter. He has explained the heart of the gospel, and now he is ready to explicitly state what practical fruit should be expected to grow in us as the gospel takes root. And so he opens with this command, walk worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Walk worthy, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. We began our study of the whole book of Ephesians with a summary of the entire letter that went like this. God in Christ has made us a new people so that we might experience a new unity and walk in a new way. And so with our identity as a new people and our calling to a new unity about our, our, our calling to a uni- new unity grounding us, this second half of the letter tells us how we are to walk in a new way as children of God. It's about our, our manner of life, the way that we live day in and day out as, as children of God. And we are called to live in a way that is worthy, that, that carries the same weight as the calling to which we have been called to. We saw that verses 1 through 16 of chapter 4 show us that a large part of that calling is to unity. In the midst of all of our diversity as as children of God, we as God's people are to be uniquely united in him, loving one another deeply and serving one another in the power of the Spirit through the gifts of the Spirit, all in a way that shows we belong to Christ and that glorifies our Father. Part of walking worthy of our calling, then, is walking in unity. But secondly, we begin to see in verse 17 that this calling also has to do with holiness, with a purity of life, with, in Paul's words, a new way of walking that is much different than the way that we walked before we were in Christ and much different from the way that those outside of Christ continue to walk in this world. As I thought about this, I I thought about someone maybe joining the armed forces. We could pick any branch, but let's just pick the Marines. Uh, And before they went into basic training, maybe they had poor posture, like most of us do. Uh, Now, you're probably going to sit up a little bit straighter in your chair since I said that. But, you know, they slouched a little bit. Maybe even they they walked a little bit more casually everywhere they went. Uh, Not only that, but their, their clothes were maybe a little bit sloppy. Um, they were like me in, in high school. I never wanted to tuck my shirt in, and, and maybe they were the, the same way, and they wore flip-flops everywhere. But then they went away to basic training. Maybe you've seen this happen, this transformation. They go away to basic 
training and they, they come back and they're, they're standing a lot taller. They're walking with a, a little bit of, of purpose and they have this uniform that shows they represent this, this branch of the military and they do it with honor. They have, in fact, a, a new identity. What are they? They're a Marine. And so because of that new identity, they walk a different way. And in fact, they actually dress a different way everywhere that they go. In a parallel way, we see in our text that becoming a Christian, in fact, also changes how we walk. And in a metaphorical way, it changes how we dress. Metaphorical. I'm not going to tell you how you are supposed to dress today, okay? <laughs> That's not what Paul's talking about. He's talking about a metaphor about how we dress. We don't walk the way that we used to, and we don't dress the way that we always used to. We have a new walk and we have new clothes that in fact show that we belong to Jesus and we represent him in this world. However, it's not just new clothes. This, this new way of walking and this new dress, way of dressing represents a deeper change. We walk and we dress differently. Why? Because we have a new identity. We are no longer in the world because we are in Christ. And being in Christ changes everything about us. Paul's going to get very specific about what we should do as children of God, what our, our walk should look like, as well as the old clothes that we should take off and the new ones that we need to put on. But just before he launches into these practical applications, he once again focuses on the spiritual reality that is at the root of all of the practical application that he is going to give us. Paul seems to know our tendency towards legalism. So before giving us a list of commands, he again reminds us what God has done, thereby establishing once again that the only way that we can walk in a way that reflects Christ is if we are truly in Christ. So he simply says to us in these verses, walk as those made new by Christ. Let's take that as our big idea for these verses in chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. Walk as those made new by Christ. Again, the tendency of the human heart is toward legalism. We have a natural draw toward acting like the Pharisees, focusing on our external actions rather than allowing our hearts and who we truly are in Christ to change our behavior. But to focus on changing our behavior before our changing our hearts would be like well, it'd be like going to an army surplus store and buying a uniform without ever actually joining the army. You could put that uniform on, and, and maybe you could even try to walk in a new way with your new clothes, but it's all going to be short-lived because your identity has actually not been changed. That's what legalism is in some ways. It's trying to change the way of our lives without letting that change come from what God has done in our hearts. So Paul is once again reminding us of where the power for our change in behavior comes from. It is rooted in, in what God has done through Christ. It's only in Christ that we can have the power and even the desire to walk as those made new by Christ. Uh, let's read Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24, and hopefully these truths will start to come out. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 17, Paul writes, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, 
alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Walk as those made new by Christ. In verse 17, notice first, a solemn and authoritative call. Just in verse 17, actually just the first half of verse 17, we find a solemn and authoritative call. The the Apostle Paul begins with these words, now this I say and testify in the Lord. And he gives the commands here and to follow. And as he gives them, we are given a sense of authority and of, of gravity to what he is saying. He's often called in this, uh, upon his, uh, his apostleship or the fact that he's in prison as reasons why the Ephesian church should hear him out. And here he says that he is speaking and testifying in the Lord. If you have an NIV, it says, I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. Paul's not offering his opinion. The, the word has this sense of I decree or I declare, and it's stronger even than the word uh, in verse four, uh, in, in chapter four, verse one, that says, I urge you. He declares and he insists in Christ, it says. This new way of living is not something that he is calling those outside of Christ to do, but for everyone who is in Christ through faith, Paul has a strong exhortation for them, an exhortation rooted in the authority of Jesus himself. So why? Why such a solemn and authoritative call? Bow says this. I think it's helpful. He writes, It shows how seriously he regards the necessity that converts break away from their former sinful life. It is not optional. Paul wants there to be no room for thinking that someone can claim to be in Christ while continuing to live as they did before they were in Christ. He is showing that that while continu- that he is showing that that salvation is not something that that we add to the sum total of our lives, but it is something that completely transforms every part of our lives. And the gospel truly has completely transformed our lives. If we are in Christ, We are holy. We have been sanctified through faith in the work of Christ. We have been made children of God and joint heirs with Christ. And yet, and yet, we are also always growing in sanctification and holiness. We are always seeking to walk more and more like children of God. These efforts are not what saves us, but rather they reveal that we are truly children of God. We are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. Paul's solemn and authoritative call then goes out to us. It comes to us with the the force of saying, don't pretend that you can be in Christ and not change the way that you live. 
Don't, don't abuse the grace of God by assuming that God will make you his child and then not call you to represent his holiness and his purity in the world. As Baal says, it's not optional, this new walk. So this solemn and authoritative call, it has two main parts, and that's what we'll spend our time thinking about. Um, the solemn and authoritative call, the, the two parts of it, the first is found in verses 17 through 19. Uh, they're kind of two sides of the same coin. We're told there, don't walk the way that you used to. Don't walk the way that you used to, verses 17 through 19. Specifically, he tells them to no longer walk how? Like the Gentiles do. It's an interesting statement. He's been very explicit to say that Jew and Gentile are one in Christ. And I think in some sense, he's saying that Gentiles who are in Christ are actually no longer Gentiles. Their identity in Christ is so core that their identity as Gentiles is in some ways now non-existent. Of course, they're still ethnically not Jews, but what had separated them from God, namely their sin, has passed away and all things have become new. And yet, old habits die hard, don't they? Have you ever broken a, a bad habit only to find yourself almost unconsciously slipping back into it? It's easy to do. These Ephesian Christians are, are new creations in Christ, but some of who they were, their old way of thinking and walking, it still shows up in their lives. I think we can all relate. We are new creations in Christ Jesus, created for good works, but it's easy to slip into our old way of thinking and walking. Paul describes that old way of walking with an avalanche of terms here. Let's see if we can organize them. I'll give you four descriptions uh, regarding our old self. First, we were foolish. We were foolish. Paul really has a lot to say about how we, how we think. Uh, we might look at our old way of life and immediately describe the, the sinful things that we did, but Paul shows us that the real issue with us when we were apart from Christ was, was how we thought in our minds and in our hearts. That was the real problem. Three thoughts then about how we were foolish. Verse 17 tells us that our thinking was futile. Our thinking was futile. This, might, this word futile might recall to our minds the teaching of the book of Ecclesiastes and the realization that life lived apart from the fear of God is what? It's vanity. Vanity. It's pointless. It's meaningless. Apart from Christ, we look at the world and see that every road leads to a dead end. How depressing it can be for those apart from Christ when they awaken to the sad reality that there is no true and lasting purpose to a life lived without reference to God. Life is meaningless and futile apart from Christ. Verse 18 reveals our former foolishness in a second way. It's, it's the fact that our understanding was darkened. Our understanding was, was darkened. We live in a world where everyone wants to think that they are enlightened. They are the ones that are enlightened. We look to the past, and what do we call those days? Those are the dark ages. That's when people weren't enlightened like we are now. And yet so much of what passes for enlightened thinking in our day actually just reveals how foolish we are 
how darkened our understanding is. How, as Paul describes in Acts 17, apart from God's help, we are just groping in the dark, trying to find something to hold on to and make sense of life. Our foolishness is also seen in the fact that we were ignorant. Verse 18. We were ignorant. How ironic is it that the world looks at the follower of Jesus and says, they're so ignorant. When in actuality, that's what we are apart from Christ. We thought we had all the information that we needed to make sense of the world, but in being ignorant of Jesus and ignorant of the gospel, we're ignorant of the most basic information we need to make sense of this world. Now, there's a, a foolishness that, that comes from youth that uh, we've experienced or we are experiencing. No offense to you that are youth. <laughs> Futile thinking, darkened understanding, ignorance. They could be thought of just as a natural state that we are all born into. And there's some truth to that. But there's, here we also see that our foolishness is actually a willful choice. It's a rejection of God and his wisdom that is clearly seen before us. We're going to see more about this in a moment. Um, but let's notice second that we weren't only foolish, but also we were alienated. We were alienated. Specifically, we were alienated from the life of God. You might look back at Ephesians 2.12 where it says, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Maybe you remember how we talked about the fact that there was a literal wall in the temple that kept the Gentiles from entering into the inner courts. And there's a wall also set up by our sin and our foolishness that keeps us shut out from what God is doing in the world. In our sin, we were excluded from God and his ways. We were alienated. Third, we were callous. We were callous. We see this in verse 18, as well as in that phrase about the hardness of our hearts in verse 19. Maybe you've had the experience of working in your yard and, and getting a callus on your, on your hands. A spot on your hand that's it's rough, it's a little bit desensitized. Uh, you can talk to Mark and he'll tell you that when you learn to play the guitar, you get calluses on the, the tips of your fingers. And that's good to have because it desensitizes your fingers so you can hold down those, those metal strings. It's a good thing. However, a calloused heart, that's not a good thing. A calloused heart is not good. And Paul says that in our foolishness, as we willfully reject God, as we move further and further from him, we start to develop calluses, not on our hands and not on our fingertips, on our hearts. Paul says elsewhere that our consciences can be seared so that they have no feeling. We don't sense our sin. Apart from Christ, we reject God to the point that we have no feeling when we rebel against him. Our rejection of him, it, it hardens us. And this leads fourthly to this truth, that we gave ourselves up. The old, in the old way that we walked, we gave ourselves up. Because of our foolishness, because of our separation and alienation from God, because of our callousness and hardness of heart, we gave ourselves over to sin. 
Specifically, he says, to sensuality, such that Paul says we become greedy to practice every kind of impurity. It would seem that lust and unrestrained sexual impulses is often where our hearts first go when we give up ourselves to sin. There's a a greediness then to, to cross all of the lines that God has drawn. We're like Adam and Eve. We think that God has withheld something good from us. So we start to find all of the forbidden fruit that we can and gorge ourselves on it because our hardened hearts think that that's what's going to make us happy. And God allows us. We, We not only give ourselves up, but God gives us over to our sin. And this takes us right into Romans 1, 18 through 32, which has so many parallels to what we read here in Ephesians 4. In fact, I just want to read Romans 1 with Ephesians 4 in our minds because I think that Paul is expanding on it in Romans 1, but so many of the same truths are here. So hear these words. You can look at them if you like or just listen to this description from Romans 1 beginning in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Brothers and sisters, this is how we used to walk. Not just Ephesians 4, but Romans 1 is who we used to be. We were foolish, we were alienated, we were callous, and we gave ourselves up to sin. But Christian, feel the weight then of this truth. That's not who you are anymore. That's who you were. That's not who you are in Christ. 
Therefore, instead of walking in old ways that lead to death, Paul says, walk in the new way of Jesus. Walk in the new way of Jesus. It's, it's hard to overestimate the contrast that is marked by these words in verse 20. But that is not the way that you learn Christ. That's why you have an exclamation point. That's not how you learn Christ. I, it's as if Paul wants to look deeply into the abyss of who we were so that our hearts are filled with this cry, I don't ever want to go back to that place. Have you had the experience maybe of traveling somewhere or ending up in a, in a spot? I, I, can't, I can't come up with an example necessarily, but just some place that you were at and you were filled with maybe disgust or, or maybe fear or just anxiousness or something like that. And, and even as you think about it now, you get some chills and you say, oh, I don't ever want to go back to that place. That's how we who are in Christ should react to this description of our old self. And yet, so often we find ourselves in a place of walking in those old ways. In fact, maybe you're here today and you've never been made new. You've, you've never left that old path behind. Maybe you've never been born again and made new by the power of God. And maybe today even God is opening your eyes to the fact that a, that this is who you are apart from Christ. Know that there's a way out of that place. You don't have to stay there. And the way out is not by trying harder, it's by trusting Jesus. Jesus has died to set you free, and faith in his work on the cross and in his resurrection can save you and pull you out of that place. But maybe you're in Christ and you're seeing how you have been walking the way that you used to walk apart from Jesus. You're starting to see man, I've just been a little foolish. My heart's been a little bit callous to some of the sin that, that's been growing in me. And you feel yourself wandering, giving yourself up to sin. Hear what Paul says to us. That's not how you learn Christ. That's not what Christ has called you into. Walk in the new way of Jesus. Notice the language of verses 20 and 21. It's the language of the school of Jesus. Some of you don't want to talk about school because it's coming soon. But that's what he's talking about here. It's, it says that, that this is where we learned Christ. It's where we heard about Christ. It's where we were taught in Christ. Paul says that uh, it's not just kids that have to go to school, but it's anyone who comes to Christ has to go to school. You have to go to the school of of Jesus. And John Stott says that these phrases reveal that Jesus is the subject of the teaching, Jesus is the teacher himself, and Jesus is, in fact, the environment uh, in which we are learning. My friend Andrew Owensby, Owensby preached on this. He said, you've gone to a school where your teacher, your principal, and your coach were all Jesus. <laughs> That's what it means to come to Christ. School is the place where we learn. So again, we're reminded of how important it is to think rightly, to think biblically about ourselves and about the world around us. We saw this last week as we were thinking, but let me just remind you the point of daily scripture reading, the purpose of sermons, the goal of Bible studies, the time that we spend talking about the scriptures in potluck is so that we would be taught Jesus by Jesus, so that we might look a little bit more like Jesus. 
that our minds would be filled with truth so that our hearts would be changed, so that our actions would be honoring to God. Our lack of Christ-likeness has roots more in our minds and in our hearts than in our hands and our feet. But there are things that we need to do. There are things that need to be done for us to grow in holiness. We are called to put off the old self, verse 22. These are the the old clothes of verses 17 through 19. These are the muddy and soiled garments of our former manner of life. These clothes are corrupt through deceitful and deceptive desires. They are not clothes of truth. They are clothes of falsehood and lies. And what are we supposed to do with them? Get rid of those clothes. Nobody wants those clothes. Don't even donate them to goodwill. Nobody wants them. Get rid of them. And instead, what are we supposed to do? Put on the new clothes of the new self. The beginning of a school year sometimes means new clothes, doesn't it? Do you remember that feeling? Going out and getting new clothes, figuring out what you were going to wear on the first day. It's going to be your best outfit, you know, make a good impression. And here we're talking about new clothes that we get from Christ. And these clothes, if I could say it, are sewn by God himself. Verse 24. He's the, he's the one that makes these clothes. They're created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. They're created to help us look like Jesus and reflect him in the world. As we were created in the image of God, which sin has marred, we are recreated in Christ so that we can reflect him in this world. The imagery of clothes could even recall the ancient practice of baptism. Uh, In the early days of, of the church, when someone was baptized after they came out of the water, you know what they were given? New clothes, new white robes that they emerged out of this water and and they were given these new clothes signifying in one more way the interchange of identity that had happened when they repented and believed in Jesus. And as we take off these old clothes and put on these new clothes, we're also, it says there were to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. The mind is again mentioned, revealing one more time how vital it is for us to fill our minds and our hearts with the truth of who we are in Christ. And again, I think there's a bit of an already not yet aspect to what Paul is describing here. In one sense, we are this new self, recreated in holiness and righteousness. We are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus, and we stand before God blameless. But also, we are becoming this new self. We are growing in the likeness of Jesus. And this process of putting off the old self, renewing our minds, and putting on the new self is what sanctification looks like. I love this process. Put off, be renewed, and put on. And the danger is to leave out one of those parts. For instance, we could become overly concerned with what we're supposed to put off. We become consumed with the things that we're not supposed to do, such that sanctification becomes just saying no to sinful practices. The danger seems to be akin, I think, to the parable that Jesus told where a demon was cast out of a man, but that man never replaced the void the demon left with God or his ways, such that the demon returns with all his friends, you remember, and Jesus says, the final state of that man is worse worse than the first. On the other side of just saying no to sin, we can also focus exclusively on the, the good works that we're to put on. 
We can focus on the practical, hands-on ways that we show love to others through the good works that God has laid out before us. But we can do that all while annoying, uh, ignoring sinful attitudes or secret sins that remain in our lives. I don't know if this is true observation. You can, we could talk about it, but it would seem to me that more conservative wings of Christianity can end up focusing on all the things that we're not supposed to do. Don't do this. And maybe more liberal wings of Christianity can end up focusing on all the things that we are to do, that we're supposed to, to put on, the good works that we are supposed to do. But neither of those extremes is right. We are to put off sin, and we are to put on righteousness. We have to do both. But we could actually do both of those things and miss the middle piece. We could put off and put on and imagine that we're doing it in our own strength. We could neglect to renew our minds with the truth that any putting off or putting on that happens in our lives is the work of God through his spirit. If we fail to renew our minds with the reality of the gospel, our sanctification might fill us with pride, self-righteousness. And so as Paul works through some specific applications in the coming verses that we're going to see uh, in coming weeks, we're going to see him do all three of these things. It's really a beautiful uh, example. He doesn't exhaust all the practical applications, but he gives us a great way to process what this looks like. He's going to tell us what to put off. He's going to tell us what to put on. And he's also going to tell us why. He's going to give us the renewed mind reason that we as followers of Jesus should act this way. If that sounds like what we saw in Romans 12, 1 through 2, it's because it is. <laughs> Do you remember those verses that we looked at not too long ago? Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Don't be conformed to the world. Put those things off. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind so that you know what the will of God is. Put these things on. It's a beautiful theme in the scriptures. And so I wonder, as we get ready to step into all these deeply, deeply practical implications that, that Paul is going to give us, I wonder if we could just this week start to process our lives in this way. We might look at who we were and, I, and identify some of the old self-attitudes and, and actions that we're sliding back into. And maybe this week our response would, would be to say, that's not the way I learned Christ. That's not how I was taught by him. That's not how I was taught him. Why am I going back there? I say that out loud. It doesn't hurt to say that out loud. As you feel yourself sinking back into those things, you can say it out loud. That's not how I learned Christ. And that might trigger in your mind, this is not who I am. I'm following in these old ways. Or you might just say, I don't want to go back there. We, and, and so slowly we start to, to put off the old self as it's trying to creep back into our lives. And then we might think about who we are in Christ, that we would see the, the righteousness and the holiness that he's called us to, and we'd start to replace those old self ways with the new self that God has made us to be. 
that we would be filled with a, a longing to represent our Savior well in this world, that we'd even just take something like the fruit of the Spirit and we'd grow in love and joy, peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control, that these are the things that we start to, to put on in our lives. And throughout this process, we would always be renewing our minds. We must always remember that we no longer walk in the way that we used to, but we walk in the new way and in the new self, and we do both of these things because of Jesus. We have a new walk. Why? Because Jesus walked to the earth in perfection. We have a new walk because Jesus walked to Calvary and died. We have a new walk because Jesus walked out of the tomb alive. We have a new walk because Jesus has given us his spirit to be with us wherever we walk, prompting and empowering us to put off the old self and to be renewed in the spirit of our mind and to put on the new self. So as you move into this coming week, if you are in Christ, I think we should go in some deep confidence and some deep hope that God has done everything necessary and given us everything that we need to walk in righteousness and holiness and love before him. We have learned Christ. We have been given his spirit. You can put off the old deeds of the flesh. You can be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You can, by God's grace, put on the works of holiness that he's called us to. By grace and through his power, whether it's in your home, in front of your siblings, or with your children, or with your spouse, it might be in your workplace, it might be as you walk into your school this week, in any place, you can do it. You can put off the old self, be renewed in the spirit of mind, and put on the new self so that we might know the joy and the wonder of walking in the new way that Christ has laid out for us. Don't go back to that old way. Nobody wants to go there. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Remember who you are in Christ and walk in this new way. I give you permission to say it out loud. That's not how I learned Christ. And then remember what Christ has done and then walk in the new ways that he's called us to. I also give you permission to look ahead. Start to read through the rest of chapter four and into chapter five and start to see how practical Paul is getting and start to apply this, and we'll start to meditate it on it together and ask God to change us more and more into his image. Well, today we, we get to take the Lord's Supper, and as we do that, you know what we're doing? We're renewing our minds. <laughs> we're renewing our minds. We are reminding ourselves who we were and how we once walked. We're remembering Jesus, whose body was broken for our sin, whose blood was shed to purchase our forgiveness. And remember, we are remembering that we are new in Jesus. We, we are called to walk in this new way of life by the power of God working in us. So I want to give you an opportunity to maybe confess sin, to remember Christ, and to, um, to remember what he has done and accomplished through the gospel. And then I want to invite you, if you are a Christian, if your hope for salvation is in Christ alone and you have been baptized as an expression of that faith, I want to invite you to take this with us. If that's not true of you, please just let the bread and the cup pass. So we'll have a moment of silence. And then, Joshua, would you be able to help me pass the bread and the cup? And we'll take it all together. But let me give you a moment of silence.
For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the hope that we have only in him. But if we were to try and change our lives on our own, it would be impossible. But because of what Christ has done through his life and his death and his resurrection, we can be your children and we can even walk in your ways. Lord, help us to remember you well now as we take this bread and this cup. Would you be worshipped and honored in all that we do? Ask it in Christ's name. Amen.